Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. We ask your Holy Spirit, you're so invited here. Uh, we welcome you. Speak through me. Uh, anoint me with your words. Let us show your beauty and your love and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start out in John chapter 8. I wanted to look at some scripture tonight. And I'll read this passage. It's familiar to most of us, but I, I just love how this shows the beauty of Jesus. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Beautiful, beautiful passage. And for many years, I thought that that had to do, like so many of the stories, with a prostitute who was in a wayward life. But it doesn't say she's a prostitute. It says she's an adulteress. This is most likely a married woman. And the story takes place in Jerusalem at the temple. I can't imagine that these Pharisees and scribes brought her from another town or even from another area of town. It probably took place in that area. When I look at a passage like this, I try to figure out really what's happening. What are the motivations of the people and why are they there? And I may be a bit of a conspiracy theorist, but Jesus was only in Jerusalem a very, very few days in his three years. He spent very little time there. He really wasn't welcome there. So for them to find this woman at this time, knowing he was in town, it almost seems like a setup. That this was something that they had wanted to happen. And I'm wondering if on her way there, she's thinking, was I set up? He got up at night and unlocked the door so they could come in. I, I was betrayed. I loved that man. I loved that man, and he betrayed me. You know, betray betrayal really stings. And then she gets to Jesus, and he does something very interesting. And there have been a lot of hypotheses about why he bent down and wrote on the ground. But as he bent down, the people there were doing probably what you are doing. And they were looking at him. Now the fact that he wrote with his finger
Near the temple in Jerusalem, if you look near the temple in Jerusalem, there are stone tablets all over the ground. That is what you were walking on. People say he was writing in the dirt, but in Jerusalem at the temple, it is stone. There might have been a film of dirt or some dust on it, but you have Jesus, the finger of God, writing on tablets of stone. Where have we seen that before? He was the one. It was his finger on Mount Sinai that wrote the law the first time. He knew the law. And so I would be expecting him to argue the law because it says in Leviticus that when you find an adulterer and an adulteress, they both should be stoned. This would be a perfect time for him to argue the law since he wrote the law. And since they obviously weren't following the law. You know, sometimes it's an opportunity for a legal solution and sometimes it's not appropriate for a legal solution. There is another solution that only God would know. You see, if he started arguing with the Pharisees about the law, where is the focus of attention? Where has it been the whole time? The focus of attention is on the woman. Well, she's from down the street. I wonder if I know her. Who is that? Is that so-and-so's wife? Just like we would all be doing, everyone's looking to try to see if... So for him to start arguing with them about her, the focus is still going to be on her. But just like what happened with me as I bent down there, all of you just went like this. He took the focus, the shame, for a few moments off the woman. There's something about us being able to take the shame off people that are carrying it. And we've heard that story a few times today. When you see shame, when you see weakness, how do you handle it? Your joy is dependent on how you treat weakness when you see it. Do you use it as an opportunity for gossip? Did you hear so-and-so? They, I, I, yes, I know she's a good speaker, but you, did you know this about her? Well, yes, did you? Whatever it is, how we sort of always sneak, sneak in something through the side to knock people down a notch. When you see vulnerability, do you cover it? Do you cover it? Because if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to cover vulnerability. We don't exploit it. We don't use it as a piece of gossip. We cover shame when we see it. And it's interesting as people in the medical profession, we hear and we see a lot of things and often we will, we can look down on those people or we can use it as just interesting bits of gossip. But to be able to cover and to be able to protect. You see, your joy is dependent on how you treat the vulnerable because the truth is, no matter how high and mighty you are in the world's eyes, whether you're doing neurosurgery or whatever it is, you know and I know that you're vulnerable, that you've got a weakness. Now we wear our white coats, we try to make sure that we look perfect and defend ourselves if we're ever accused of something, but the truth is I know that I've got vulnerabilities and I would really rather them stay covered. And I would like my friends and colleagues to help me with that, to help me cover my vulnerabilities. 
But typically in our society, that's not what we get. We get people who through envy are trying to always take a stab at you, especially if you're pure of heart. They want to try to knock you down a bit. But I wonder even for us, as we look at our colleagues, are we covering their vulnerabilities? I got a text message a while back, and it was from a pastor friend of mine. And the text said, Rick and Rita were having a home birth, and something went wrong with the baby. Rick. And I knew Rick and Rita, just peripherally. I wasn't invited to their wedding. I wasn't that close to them, but I had seen them. But it hit me as, wow, that's got to be a lot of shame. Now, I really didn't want to get involved. Obstetrics is not my favorite pastime. But I was going to be driving by the hospital that they were in, and I thought, well, maybe I should stop by. But something in me was really not wanting to, because I didn't know what I was going to say. What would you say? Most of us here are in the medical profession, or at least we've got an opinion. We've all got an opinion about what should have happened. Very uncomfortable. Be easier just to stay home. This looks messy. Don't want to get involved. But when the Lord nudges you, you just get in the car and you just you go and you figure he will give you the words to say, when you need them. As I walked in, I, I don't know what to say. But I walked into that hospital room and the spirit of death was in there. They had tried the home birth. Uh, the baby, uh, I, I can't remember if it lived or died at the home, but they, they called the ambulance finally, so they took the mother to the hospital. So now she's had this home birth. It's a dead baby. And now they're in the hospital, and there's just this death in the room. She looks awful. She's pale, and she really won't look me in the eyes. And, you know, I just said, just, you know, heard the words coming out of, of my mouth. God's not angry with you. And don't let the medical system shame you you did what you believed was the right thing for your baby. You wanted that baby born at home. You didn't want it born in a sterile hospital environment. And I see your heart. And God sees your heart. And she just started weeping. I was the first person, I was the only person, not the parents, not the friends, not the pastors, nobody gave them an encouraging word. Everyone gave them the word I was going to give them of how this should have happened so that it wouldn't happen again. Because when we're uncomfortable, when we feel pain, we're trying to find someone to blame. Our brain loves black and white. We want to know whose fault it was so we can make sure it never happens to us and it never happens again. Our brain is just trying to protect us so this doesn't happen again. And so it's very common to want to blame the person for causing you this inconvenient exercise of having to come to the hospital when you had other things to do. But no one had spoken a positive word to them. These are people who believe in Jesus. And I sat there, and I, and I held her hand, and, and she said, I'm never going to do this again. I said, sweetheart, do not curse yourself. I told her husband, put your hand on her womb. We are going to pray over her. There will be fruitfulness in this womb again. 
And just about that time, I, I have an alarm on my phone. I use my phone for a positive thing. At 11.11.1111, it reminds me that me and the three members of the Trinity are together in this place. And if I forget it, at 11.11 every day, that alarm goes off to remind me that God is with me. And the song that plays was Good, Good Father. And as that song played, she began singing the words. And when she came to the chorus, you're perfect in all of your ways, she just started weeping. You're perfect in all of your ways. And something broke in that room. The atmosphere shifted. The, the, the spirit of death left that room. And there was hope again that came and I said, it's too soon now to think about this, but this season is, is going to pass. It always does. I said, I know because I have made decisions, things I wish I could undo, but I can't go back and undo them now. People have, have died because I've made decisions and I have to trust God with those decisions. And there's something very important to know that when you make a decision that maybe God agreed with, maybe he didn't, but he never leaves you. You see, for many of us, when we did something wrong or made a decision that our parents disagreed with, we had to go away. We had to sort of be exiled. They got angry with us for making a decision they didn't agree with. And essentially, many of our parents actually used their love as a behavioral modifier. They would withdraw their love from you so that you would modify your behavior and make decisions in line with their will. And if you didn't, they would withdraw their love to make it painful for you. And so for many of us, we believe that if we make a mistake, something bad happens that God leaves. And part of the reason is that our emotions seem to agree with that. When you have stress, especially this little girl, I mean, she was in labor for 48 hours, hadn't slept at all, was expecting this incredibly joyous occasion, and she has a, a, a dead baby. And... And basically, she believes it's her fault. She didn't push hard enough. The baby got stuck, and she's a small woman, and she feel, if she would have just pushed harder, it's all her fault. And Satan loves to come in at those moments and plant that seed. It is all your fault. You're to blame. And then the relatives and friends and family all back that up. Yeah, we were all expecting a happy occasion as well. It is your fault. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. There's no mistake that you can do that, that causes him to withdraw. And it just feels like that because our stress and our mental patterns. But he will never, never leave us. I said some other positive things. I said, you... will use what you're learning here through this season to teach others. You will lean on God through this season. You will grow through this season. You never wished it, and you wouldn't wish it on anyone else. But now that you're in this, you will grow from this, and you will use it to help others when they're in their time of crisis. Because whatever you have come through, I'm going to tell you, you have an automatic anointing to help somebody else through that. So look back at your life. What have you been through? 
broken relationships, difficult childhood, difficult parents, divorce, whatever it is, whatever your pain, if you want it, there's your anointing. The reason I could speak to her and break this spirit of death was because I know what it's like to make mistakes that cost. And I want to help people heal from that so that they can continue to go on to be everything God designed them to be and not wither away and spend most of their time sitting on the couch watching the television, watching other people have adventures because you're now too scared to try again. Basically, I said to them, I understand why you did this. I get it. I understand. And I said, you have a good heart, and God is not angry with you. Somebody saw their heart. Somebody saw their heart and could overlook their decision-making process. You know, many of us have disappointments with God that are holding us back. They're sort of obstacles in our way. Something has happened in your life. And I wonder if you give it a thought, if you can look back and say, at one point in my life, things with, between me and God were really, really great. It just felt fantastic. But if I'm honest now, no, nah, it's not the same not quite the same. I'm not where I was, and I don't know what happened. And sometimes it's a slow leak. There's just a slow leak. But oftentimes, there is an event that happened that disappointed you, that somehow changed the relationship between you and God. It changed your trust of Him, perhaps your vulnerability, your ability to draw near and pain will often do that. Maybe it was a relationship that didn't work. Maybe it was a job you lost, a health issue, a betrayal, something in the family. Oftentimes, these things will sow some seeds in our mind that maybe God has backed off a bit. Because we are very circumstantial in our view of life. That we look at our circumstances, and from our circumstances, we try to determine whether or not God loves us. Well, I don't have what they have. Well, I'm having a good day today. I think he loves me today. And just like the world, we depend, we look at our circumstances, and we essentially judge God through that filter. And I want to reframe that for you. That God proved his love for you and for me on the cross, with the cross of Jesus. Never to be any discussion about his love. Your circumstances are not the measure of God's love for you. And I would like for us to sort of put that to rest tonight, that whatever you're going through now presently, or whatever you've been through, that these things that have happened, if they've built up obstacles between you and your Father who loves you, so you no longer trust Him or you're no longer so close to Him, I hope we can remove some of those obstacles. One of the areas that probably gives most, at least singles the most pain, is being single. I was single a long time. And through those years, what I discovered was that every year, 
it doesn't get easier. Every year it gets harder to believe that it could happen to you this year, that you still have hope for that relationship that you want, that that could happen this year. You have to grow your faith every year if you're not going to get bitter, if you're not going to start going backwards. You can't just stay neutral if you're single with the same amount of faith if you desire a relationship. And I'm assuming that most of the majority do desire uh, a partner. I certainly did. But I saw many, many people who, who got bitter, who got angry with God. And because they got angry with God, when their dating relationship didn't work out, they became angry with the person who let them down. Because it's so much easier to be angry with a person than it is to be angry with God. It's just so much more convenient. And so if I was dating someone and, and their level of spirituality or whatever it was just wasn't right for me and I would say after a few weeks, uh, this is just not right for me, I, I would feel that anger that I wasn't really free. And it was that kind of panic, that kind of anger that made life really difficult. And it tends to make you not want to try again and steals, I would say, steals your joy. How can you maintain your joy as a single? What, what, was, what were some of the things that I did? You know, when I would have a relationship go bad, I would, I would often write a poem or write a song about it. My namesake, David, wrote a lot of psalms in the Bible, and so I would start off with the heartache, with the grief. I was hoping this was going to be the one, but it turned out not to be. You know, many of us, we go right to the comfort, but we forget to grieve. We forget to actually say, this hurt. I, was, I had some expectations that this was going to work. Father, would you, would you grieve this loss with me? Because our society wants to say, oh, you'll find another one. It's okay. Or they'll take the other tact. Well, well you know, how old are you? Well, what difference does it make to God how old you are? Well, you know, I mean, if you want to have, have kids, and all, what difference does it make to God how old you are? He will work out his plan. Can you trust him? We try to be helpful by asking all those questions. God wants a new level of faith out of us, and I find that I certainly found that the dating process, or even in the years where the dating process had dried up, could I still praise him? You know, I finally had to say to myself, you know, when I get to heaven, God is not going to apologize to me for not finding someone for me. I mean, he's going to say, well, did you get any of the gifts that I sent you? Did you see anything else that I sent your way? No, I was just looking for the woman. <laughs> and I had to, I could put my order in and thank him and praise him. And I have to say, my, have to, say to you, my wife is not what I would have imagined, someone that I would marry. But her heart is very, very beautiful. And I encourage you, all the singles, to continue to develop your heart. Many of us stop and sort of coast. Continue drawing close to God. Continue becoming the person that you want to be. Become the person that you would like to marry. That kind of faith, that kind of joy, and that kind of freedom when you meet someone if they choose you, if they don't choose you, that's up to them, but they are free. You're not going to manipulate them. You're not going to coerce them. You're not going to try to get this thing to work, make them feel guilty if they back off. 
You are a treasure, and you continue to treat yourself as a treasure in the way that you think, in the way you spend time with God, in the things that you eat, in your exercise, in every possible way. You treat yourself as the princess or the prince or the treasure that you are, and you continue serving God. And do not get any resentment in your heart, because I can tell you, uh, if and when that day comes, it is like they say about you know, the birth of your child. You forget all the pain that has gone before. It's just time now to work on this relationship. And there's, there is a lot of joy in that. You know, when Jesus then says to the woman caught in adultery, he says, does no one condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. And then he says those very powerful words, as the one who wrote the law, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, neither do I condemn you. What? How, how does that work? I'll tell you how I think it works. I think that Jesus knows your story and mine. And he knows the things that cause you to sin. He knows the twisting that has happened in your family. He knows the iniquity that's gone on before you. He knows the way the woman's husband has been treating her and the way her father treated her mother and the way her father treated her. You see, the way that you, your family has responded to you or not responded to you has set you up to make mistakes, some very serious relational mistakes. And you have been beating yourself up for them because you've not been able to, to do it perfectly. And I believe that Jesus is saying to her, I know the twisting that has happened. I know the iniquity. That's what that Hebrew word means, iniquity. It means twisting. I know what's happened in your generations and I know what you have had to live with and I know why you made the decision to go to bed with that man. I know. And I understand. I understand why you made that decision. I don't agree with it, but I understand. There's something about... We call it attunement in psychology, attunement, tuning in. I understand why you made that decision. I don't condemn you. Don't do it again. And I want to just pause now for a moment, and I want you to think, can you tune in to God? Is there some point in your life that you can go back to and you can say, yeah, you know, this issue, this area seems to be what is causing some distance between me and my father. Ever since this happened, I, I can tell there's been a bit of a, a freeze in our relationship. Or not, things just not quite the same. Maybe I've got some distance now. I'm just going to give you a moment now just to... Just to Think, just jot it down. If there's a, an issue, either something that you've done or some circumstances, and I want to work through those tonight. I'd also encourage you, if there's issues of self-pity, where you've started feeling sorry for yourself because everyone else is married but me. Everyone else has got this. Everyone else is... Be very careful with self-pity. That is the counterfeit Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the comforter, and self-pity comes along and says, oh, let me help you with that. You deserve so much better. You need to go out and get it on your own. You go out and do what you want. You go make it happen. You manipulate it into happening. That's what self-pity, and I'm telling you, you'll go down that road, and you will be sometime later back at the same place. So if self-pity somehow has gotten into your heart, this would be just a good time to attune to God. Just to say, 
Father, do you know what it feels like? There's a loneliness in me. In fact, I just, I've got a YouTube out that I just did a sermon on. It Was Jesus ever lonely? You know, he makes an incredible statement. He said, nobody knows the son but the father. I think he was incredibly lonely. I mean, he's, he's at his last supper and he says, you know, someone's going to betray me. And everyone says, well, who is it, Lord? In the very next sentence, and they also began discussing who was the greatest among them. Just no presence for, wow, that must feel terrible that somebody would betray you. Ah, well, let's talk about me. I, you know, I, I've done a pretty, I think I'm the best disciple this year. Wow, such insensitivity. Was he lonely? Absolutely he was lonely for a human and for someone to understand him, nobody understood him or what his plan really was. So I think he can really attune into you. He can attune to you. Jesus, can you understand this loneliness, this ache I feel? Would you comfort my heart? I'm feeling alone about it. Would you? I need someone who understands. Do you understand grief? Do you understand broken relationships? Do you understand rejection? Get him to tune, attune to you so that you feel understood. I also feel like the Lord is saying that, that there are people who've made vows in here, like the little girl, because of her pain. I'll never do that again. Or a vow that I made. I'll, I'll never trust anyone again. If you've made a vow like that, I just encourage you right now, just go to the Father and, and just renounce that. Just recognize it. Maybe it's just something as simple as, you know, I'm never going to get up and speak in front of people or whatever it is that you've made a vow and you've put yourself in this box and you've drawn a line in the sand with God. I'll never marry. I'll never whatever. Whatever it was for you, just this conference is about freedom, and I want you to break those vows because those are actually agreements, agreements with the enemy to stay small. All right, I want to continue. I'm going to give you some time at, uh, at the end just to, to really sit and process so much going on here. I can see there's so much happening the Holy Spirit just loves to work and go through the events of our life and help us with them. But there are some events of our life that we don't necessarily get any help with, that you don't understand why that happened. And that can become an obstacle between you and God. I prayed for that, and I didn't get it. My dad still died. I wanted that relationship, and it still failed. Why, God? Why? You know, he doesn't often answer the why questions. But he often will answer, what do you want me to do now? How do you want me to praise you through this now? How can I continue with you, worshiping you in this season? One of the problems is a natural human psychology problem, and that is if you're in a relationship with someone and they let you down, you typically expect an apology. If I was supposed to speak here at 7.30 and I walked in about now, you would all be sitting there. Maybe you would have continued worshiping or something. But when I got up, if I just started speaking, okay, turn to John chapter 8, you'd be sort of looking at me, you would not be able to engage with me until I said, <clears throat> I got hung up in traffic, I was, you know, caught in a restaurant, whatever it was, I, there was a, you know, the power lines were down. Some, you would want some explanation of why I had caused you some inconvenience. As soon as I gave you the explanation, you would now be open to listen to me. 
but it would be very difficult for you to hear anything I had to say if I just got up here and started talking, if I had inconvenienced you. Now, when we talk about our relationship with God, it seems to happen all the time. We pray for something, it's a very big deal to us, and many times we don't get it. And we don't get any apology. And we're expected to trust again, right away, the next day. Wait a minute, time out. What about explaining what happened to this last situation so that I can trust you for my next one? Well, it's an interesting thing about God and that he expects to be trusted not based on circumstances or on pain, but on his character. It would be different if I had spoken to you every day for the last three years, and only today I ended up late. You'd say, well, based on his character, he's going to be here. We know it. He's always, he always comes, but you would have a little more insight into my character. So God basically says, look at your life, look at the scriptures, based on my character, doesn't that account for something? But we're very relational, and it, 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 it's, it's a bit of a tension, it, it grinds a bit for us. But I want to shift that tonight, and I want to really move into this attitude of saying, based on your character, you don't have to explain it to me. You don't have to explain the details of my life, why this happened, why this hasn't happened on my schedule. You can explain it to me later. In heaven, it will become perfectly clear. You'll have plenty of time to explain it. And I trust, because of your character, you have a good explanation for it. You don't have to explain it to me now. That is surrender. You don't have to explain it to me now. I know based on your character, you have a good explanation for suffering or you would never allow this. No parent wants his child to suffer unless he can see there is going to be a benefit from it or there's a reason for it. But we in our pride expect to have the reason always. Show me the reason and then I'll, I'll, if I buy into it, I'll go along with the suffering. And if not, we get a bit of a, an attitude. I want to break through that tonight and just really move into the freedom God has to trust he's got a good explanation for what's happened in your life and in mine. Throwing away self-pity, noticing it if it starts to come in, knowing those little patterns, oh, you poor thing. Everyone else, you know, yeah, I, I used to, when I was single, see, you know, husband and wife walking, or I would see a picture up here with someone's family, and I would sort of say, well, what about me? And quickly had to start changing that. Bless them. Bless them. Don't, get, don't give envy a foothold. All of that is something that will steal your joy. And when God finally sends you the blessings, you don't want to be standing there with your finger wagging it at him, saying, you should have sent me that earlier. It's just not, it's not good for the relationship. You want to be praising him, and then he sends you the blessings. I was expecting it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. You, you want to be in this attitude of continual gratitude. Our whole culture wants to move you to judgment, to criticism, to envy of what other people have as a basis of your case against God. And we're going to put that to rest uh, tonight. So I want you to think of the these issues in your life that you don't understand. Maybe there's a question, or you can think of a question, a why question. God, why did that happen, or why did that not happen that I prayed about? And I want to go through a declaration of sort of giving, that, giving those questions to God and surrendering our, ourselves to his, to his perfect will. And it's all going to make sense. It's all going to make sense in the end. So just give you a moment. Just think of a question. Maybe talk to him about it. Get attuned to him about these questions. Just going to give you another moment to, to tune in and chat with him about the issue in your life or issues or people that are really 
problematic and potentially standing between you and God. Okay, let's go ahead and just stand. Let's have everyone stand. Let's do some a declaration now. We're just going to release any anger or resentment toward God. Let's just say this after me. Heavenly Father, these events in my life that I don't understand, painful situations that have come between us, that are blocking me from receiving your love, I choose to set them aside. And you can explain them to me later. We will have all of eternity to talk about these things. You don't have to explain it to me now. I know that you are good based on your character. I can look back in my life and I can see that you've been good to me. You've cared for me. Often I've made foolish choices. I choose to engage my faith. It's not blind faith. It's based on your character, based on your word, and on my experience. I can see that you are worth trusting, even when I don't see how my situation is going to work out. You've promised to work all things together for good. For those who love you, and I love you, and I believe your promises, and I've called for your purpose. This is an unprecedented opportunity to trust you. I have never been here before. Not with these circumstances. Not at this age. You must be up to something good. Because that is your character. You are enough for me. And you are enough for my loved ones. I trust them to your hands. You will give them the grace to handle whatever they are going through. I will not be angry with you for what you allow to happen to the people that I love. That is between the two of you. Forgive me for doubting that you are good. I will reframe these problems and think of them as opportunities to trust. Even though I don't see how they will work out. I'm not allowing these issues or these circumstances to stand in my way. I'm coming after you. I'm not waiting for you to prove your love for me. You did that already. Thank you for sending Jesus. Amen. Just have a seat. Just talk to him now. I did leave you with some forgiveness issues last night, and I just want to remind people that forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. You don't need to go to the person unless God tells you to. There are some situations it's actually not safe 
to reconcile. But forgiveness just means in your heart you've let that go. You've released that. Um, don't let, you've, I, I'm not trying to make people feel guilty that they need to run out and try to reconcile with people uh, unless God instructs you. Forgiveness is not a, necessarily a one-time thing. We did an exercise last night, but it's not always one time. And there are some issues that need, you need help to forgive. I help my patients forgive. The big things often need someone to help you to forgive. And if that's you, please find someone on the prayer team to help you to forgive some of these large items. It, it may be too much just for you to do on your own. Um, especially if, if people have issues where people are living with someone who's difficult and they have to continually forgive them. That, that may need more counsel than just a quick forgiveness prayer. But I want you to sit just with the things with the Lord now, thinking about vows you've made, thinking about self-pity, thinking about people that have hurt you, thinking about mistakes that you've made and believing that God is not angry with you and pushing into that and then also releasing any anger or, and just saying, let's, let's just clean the slate. I'm going to trust you in a new way, in a new level from now on. And maybe even scribble some notes of what that might look like in your life, how that might work into even a, even a discipline or something that you would want to incorporate into your schedule that would help you to live with that truth. Maybe the things that you allow your eyes to see, maybe the things that you do or eat, or how are you going to start honoring God with the gifts he's given you? and honoring the relationship above all things. Gonna pray over you. Father, thank you for what has lifted in this auditorium, I sense it. And I just ask you for just a huge dispensation of your love, your Holy Spirit to backfill everything, every pain that is left, that you give them an exchange. And maybe even ask the Lord what he would give you in exchange for releasing all of this stuff. Father, I ask, huge blessing and protection for each one as they as they go and as they sleep giving them dreams and visions of you in Jesus name amen